to our pulpit this morning, our brother Christopher Lowe. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son Jesus who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself our sins, our shortcomings, and our diseases and our failures, and through whom we have eternal redemption, we have healing, and we have everything we need in this life to live for you and to serve you. We thank you, Father. We thank you. We honor you this morning. We glorify you. I ask you, Father, that you would let your word penetrate our hearts, fill our hearts with faith, so that we may move forward, Father, in your purposes and your plans, Father, so that you may be glorified in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. I'm greatly honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for your kind words. Um, I just actually came back from Africa a um, couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had uh, fantastic crusades. This year we have, uh, we have 12 campaigns planned. Um, you know, when I, a few years ago, my wife began to say, you must cut down, you must cut down, you're not getting any younger, because I was always, you know, upping the pace, and I was doing 10 campaigns in Africa. So I said, okay, I promise when I turn 60, I'll cut down. <laughs> so when I turned 60, I cut down from 10 to 9 crusades. <laughs> and she said, that's not enough. I said, okay, I'll, I promise, let me do 9 crusades next year, then I'll cut down to 8 crusades. So I did cut down to 8 crusades, but at the same time, uh, Pastor, this is not going over live stream, right? Okay, then I can talk freely. God opened the door for me to go to India. And, uh, you know, India is, a, uh, is actually number, uh, India used to be number 25 on the list of countries where Christians are persecuted. Now it has gone to number 10. Uh, and the government are, in, in fact, uh, I read in the news yesterday or day before yesterday, uh, about, about uh, I think, a good number of years ago, there was an Australian missionary uh, who was burnt alive in his car along with his two sons, if you remember that. It was in the news. Uh, he, was, he was burnt alive along with his two young, I think they were 12 or 13-year-old boys. They were sleeping in their car and they were burnt alive by a group of Hindu extremists. And the leader of that group that burned the minister, uh, the pastor alive, has now been appointed to the cabinet of the government of India. I mean, that is how, how bad it is. And he has, this man has made some very strong anti-Christian statements. So there's, you know, it, it's tough for Christians. Uh, and uh, if you're a foreigner and you, you go to India to preach, they're going to, especially if you do an open-air meeting, they're going to catch you, arrest you, and deport you from the country and ban you. But God opened a door for us, and because I'm kind of dark, you know, I don't look like an Amish boy from Lancaster County, <laughs> so I can kind of sneak in there. So anyway, to, to cut a long story short, God opened the door for me. So uh, I took on India, so right now I've cut down from 10 crusades to 12 crusades. Uh, I'm doing eight in... Uh, eight in uh, Africa every year and four in India. And I want to start by showing you some pictures from India because this is really striking. Uh, we were in different parts of India and now we have settled for, uh, now I'll tell you when to change the next picture, keep this on. Now, uh, we, we, we have done different areas in India, but then we found one area um, where the, the government, you know, there has been a rebellion going on there. There has been insurgency, guerrillas fighting and all that. So the government has given them kind of autonomy. And, uh, and so because of that, it's not really, you know, the safest of all places. Uh, it's close to the border of China and Bhutan, uh, where Christianity is forbidden. Um, there is very little Christianity there, very little. So we did three large crusades in that area, and we are now translating books. I printed 35,000 books, uh, that, uh, and you know they don't have good faith-building books. So we are planting churches, and we are doing crusades, and uh, we are publishing literature, 
and, and all that. So anyway, so this is the first picture. As you can see, a lot of people here. This was the final night of our, of our crusade. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the speaker of their house, of their assembly, uh, uh, the, the parliament was sitting next to me, and he's a Christian. It's mainly through him we have been able to get in there. And he told me, he says, Pastor, 99% of these people are non-Christians. Uh, this is an unreached area. And when he says that there's 1% Christians there, that includes Lutherans and Baptists and, and, and Roman Catholics. Uh, I mean, these are churches that don't really... Uh, you know, preach a salvation message. They're traditional Christians. So this is fantastic. God opened this door for us and uh, just, um, you know, tons of people uh, showing up. This was the altar call on the final night. And the next picture is this is another one of those crusades in that region. This was also the final night. And uh, to this one, uh, the 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 speaker of the assembly he had invited the governor well they called him the chief minister there he was invited and he came and he saw the crowd and and that same night he went on tv and uh, there was some kind of program on national i think it was a news program and they they got him there and he was speaking on TV and he said, he says, you know, I was at this meeting and I was amazed at how many people were there and we, I saw hundreds of people healed from diseases and most of them were people who had incurable diseases. They were brought in there by ambulances. And then he said, and all this was done by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what, that's what he said. And then the next one is uh, this is yet another place. Now, this is interesting. This was in a place in the middle of nowhere. There was no town there, but we just wanted to touch the area. There were small villages there. And so we wanted to go to this area. And uh, But, you know, to do a crusade like this, you need to uh, rent somebody's land, somebody's field. And, and normally they won't rent it to you if they find out you're Christian. But what happened was some members of my team went to Bhutan, which is the country next door. And there, somehow they ran into this man who was very sick and they prayed for him and he got healed. And he asked them, so what are you guys doing here? They said, well, we are just touring here, but we have actually come to this area. We're going to do some meetings in, uh, you know, in, across the border in India. And he said, so are you going to help people just like you helped me? And they said, yes. He said, well, I have some land. You can use it for free. So, so we, this was on his property. Uh, we did the, we held this crusade. And the next one is, now, this is in this place. Uh, so, we, you know, we were a bit antsy about being there because, you know, there's insurgencies and all that. So... The first night, a gentleman showed up, and he said, and he he was dressed in ordinary civilian clothes. He says, "I'm uh, um, I'm the officer commanding the troops at the border, and I'm a Christian, and I'm from another part of the country, and there's nothing here for me to go to. So, do you mind if I come here every night?" I said, "Sure." He says, "Do you mind if I bring some of my men with me to to escort me and protect me?" I said, "Sure." So he brought a little detachment of armed soldiers. Every night, and that came, kept troublemakers away from us also. So, so it was good. Anyway, so these are the three big crusades we have done, and we are continuing to touch that area. We are already planning now from, for, uh, for December, uh, and then, you know, in January, because the winter months, that's the best time to go, because right now, it's very hot there. It's like 110 degrees, and 90% humidity is terrible. So... Anyway, the next one is, uh, uh, this is a lame man who got up and walked the man in the red, uh, red sweater or jacket. And the next one is, um, this is a young boy who was deaf and mute and began to hear and to speak after God touched him. And the next one, uh, uh, this is a blind boy who received his sight after Jesus touched him. And the next one is uh, this, this uh, old man in the middle, he was the grandfather of the boy in the striped sweater, and the man was actually dying. He was terminally ill. He couldn't move, unable to walk, and 
the grandson brought him from the hospital in an ambulance and God healed him. And, and that's the reason we had such crowds because the news spread and, and, and people began to come from very far. And we had uh, uh, people came from six hours, eight hours away. They rented ambulances and brought sick people from hospitals. Uh, we had uh, an amazing, because the, the, the thing is that, you see, miracles are an integral part of the gospel. And when, when the gospel is preached, we expect that God will confirm his word with signs following. And, then, and that is why these Hindus and Muslims and all these people come to those meetings. Because I'm very careful in our posters, and, and we advertise, but I don't put my name or my picture there uh, totally. We just put, uh, we have a generic name for our little thing we have going there. We call it Faith Gospel Team. Which is good because anybody can go, you know, faith gospel team. So, so it's interesting that people come because, uh, because God heals the sick. And anyway, uh, now the, the other thing is that there were so many people healed uh, uh, because, you know, the, the first night, normally these crusades are four, four nights long. And the first night, there's just a handful of people because people don't know what to expect. And when God begins to move, then people begin to come. So, uh, I mean... From the first night when we had about 500 people to the fourth night when the crowd was about 250 meters wide uh, and 350 meters on the platform to the back. That's like four football fields. Uh, And behind that was a road with uh, trucks and buses and cars. And then there was another field and there were people on that field also. So it's only only because God is touching people and people are very desperate. Uh, They come from far. And the next one is, um, uh, this was another girl who was born deaf and mute. And, you know, she's hearing and speaking for the first time in her life. And the next one, please. Uh, now, the, uh, the other thing I want to tell you is that on the last night, we, we would spend about uh, hour, hour and a half just taking 10-second testimonies from people. I mean, people were lining up, and our workers would check them and sort them out. And, and still, uh, you know, it got so much that I said, okay, all those who were deaf who were healed, come up on the platform and get, get a whole bunch, fill the platform. And we say, okay, fine, praise God, just go down. Then we bring the next crowd in. And it was like that, you know. Uh, anyway, so the next one is, this is another man who couldn't walk for 15 years. And then the next one is, now this is interesting. This, this girl, she's, I think, about in her early 20s, and both her kidneys had failed. And you know, when both your kidneys fail, you need dialysis or transplant. I'm not a doctor, but it's serious. And what had happened was that both her kidneys had shut down. And as a result, her limbs were swollen because of the liquid. Her limbs were swollen. Her arms and legs were swollen. And plus, she was almost completely blind, had lost her sight. And she was basically dying because in this region, there's no dialysis, there's no transplant, nothing. It's, it's kind of primitive. So they brought her to the meeting, and when she was in the crowd, the Lord touched her. Jesus touched her. Her limbs immediately went down to normal size. Her eyesight returned. And so she came on the platform, and she came on the platform, and she was weeping, I mean profusely weeping. And so uh, and then she told me her story, what the Lord had done for her. So this is that young lady. And the next one is, now, this is a lame man who got up and walked. And I want you to note the guy on the left. He's a Catholic priest, actually. And you will wonder what he is doing there, but I'll tell you more. Okay, the next uh, picture. Uh, this Now, this is interesting. This young man in the purple shirt in the middle, he was, uh, was demon-possessed. And uh, I don't know when it had happened, but his mind was completely erased, completely gone. He didn't know his own name. He didn't recognize anybody. He didn't understand when you spoke to him. And uh, when he would try to speak, it, it was just gibberish sounds would come out. It didn't make any sense couldn't communicate with anybody. I mean, his mind was completely gone. And they brought him to the crusade. Nobody knew what was wrong with him. And he was in the crowd. And when the power of God fell on the crowd, suddenly everything came back. 
He began to speak and uh, he knew his own name. He recognized his relatives and everything was okay. So they brought him up on the platform and I had a nice little conversation with him. He was completely normal. Jesus had set him free. So that was, uh, that was, uh, and then the next one is, uh, this is a woman who was blind and received a sight. Now I'm going to tell you about the priest on the left. What happened, the, the first, the very first crusade we did, this in this, we did in this region, one of the main people who helped us was a Roman Catholic priest. And uh, we didn't, because there's no churches there, there's nothing. And uh, this Roman Catholic priest shows up. He says, I live two hours away and I'm born again and the Lord told me to come and help you. What do you need? So we said, well, we need some workers. So he brought, he brought about, I think, he said, I can bring 100, 125 young people. So I work with young people. So he brought these young adults. He, brought, he, he loaded them on two buses and brought them. And they said, we'll help you. Tell us what to do. So, we, so my guys told them, you know, how they could, how, how they should stand in front and, you know, do some ushering and all that. You know, I mean, there's no, everyone is standing on the field. So, but, you know, how to keep some, order in the crowd and all that. So they, everything was okay until I began to pray for the sick. I prayed in mass and when people began to get healed, these people freaked out. They, they went on their knees, pulled out their rosaries and began to do the Hail Marys. They were, they were so scared. They'd never seen anything like this. And so, so, so my guy said, there's total chaos with these Catholics. I said, well, get them born again. Take time with them. So next morning, he gathered them all together, preached to them, did an altar call. They all got saved. Then they were okay. Then on the, then on the last night, they all got baptized with the Holy Spirit, including the priest. And now... And now, Father Thomas, as his name is, he... He, he, I mean, he's, he's our best friend in the area because he knows everybody. And one thing about the Catholics, they do a lot of social work. You know, they help the poor, they build hospitals and clinics. So because of that, they have a, he has a lot of influence. He said, Pastor, please come and preach, do your thing here and plant your Pentecostal churches. They don't have to come to our church. They can go to your church. Just bring the gospel to this area and we will help you. So... So anyway, now this, this, uh, this priest is in another area and he was so fired up, excited because he just happened to be there and uh, he was not with us officially. He just happened to be there. And then some people came who spoke only a local tribal language, which nobody else understood. So when they came up to testify, so he jumps on the platform. He said, I can help you. So we gave him the microphone and and, and, and now he's also with us. So it's, un, it's fantastic the relationship we have with the Catholics and they appreciate what we are doing. They said, you just come, do your thing, plant your churches, we'll help you, you know. So that's, uh, that's really wonderful. So anyway, and so then, then the next one is there's another blind lady who completely blind lady, lady received her sight. And the next one is this another little boy who was deaf and mute. He began to hear and to speak. And the next one is this man was mute for many, many years. He was not born mute, but he had become mute, began to speak. And the next one, uh, this is the last picture. This man was paralyzed after a stroke and God healed him. So anyway, so this is what is happening out there. And uh, God is good that he has opened this door for us and we intend to continue to preach the gospel in that area. You know, these, these areas are very crucial. They're, they're, it's important that we go in there and preach the gospel because these are people that have never heard, heard the gospel before. So, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And I also want to thank you, Pastor John, and thank you, Church, for the most generous contribution you made towards the uh, hurricane victims in Mozambique, if you remember. I mean, that was bad. They had tw- we had 52 pastors who lost everything. So, uh, so I, I decided to, I never told anyone. I had a figure in my heart, I want to raise $50,000. So I said, Lord, I want to raise 50, and I'm not a good fundraiser. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a guy who will say, oh, bring, send your check in the next uh, 31 minutes. And, <laughs> And you'll get a hundredfold return and because the anointing is here. I, I don't do that. I'm not good at it. I'm not, 
I, I'm not good at raising funds, and uh, some preachers are good at it. If a child swallows a coin, a doctor can't get the quarter out, take it to the pastor. He knows how to get it out. You know, some preachers are good at that. And uh, uh, I don't have the skill. So, anyway, so I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, Lord, I want 50,000 50, to help these people. And I never told anyone, I never told my wife that I want $50,000 to help these people quickly. So I went on Facebook and I did a GoFundMe thing. And I think I got 7,000, 7,500, which, uh, which is nice, you know, when you're, because, you know, I'm one of those unknown people. So anyway, so I got then. Then I sent an email to my pastor friends and you guys were most generous and uh, you know, you sent us $10,000, and there were other people. A church in Shanghai, China, sent me money. And they even said, we are filling a 40-foot container with clothes and toys for children and everything, and, and sending it. And they said that we have favor with the China Red Cross, and the Red Cross is clearing everything. We don't have to pay, and they're getting everything to Mozambique. So it's amazing. Anyway, so at the end of the day, I called my wife. I said, can you tally everything we have gotten? She said, we have $47,000. I said, oh, I said, now that's a lot of money. I'm not ungrateful. But I said, Lord, I was believing God for $50,000. This is $47,000. Something is wrong here. Someone is either my faith is not okay or somebody was not hearing from God or I don't know what to do about it because I don't want to go and say somebody's not obeying God, you know. So I didn't say anything. I, 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 ne- I never even told my wife that I was believing God for 50 and I'm not happy. We only got 47. Anyway, so this was, I was in Africa. So I'm flying back from Africa. I stopped to preach in Switzerland. And I'm staying at this pastor's house and suddenly he says to me, he said, brother, uh, I just want to tell you something. He said, uh, I have a check of $3,000 made out for you to help these hurricane victims in Mozambique. And that has been sitting in my office for weeks now. And my secretary has forgotten to send it. I said, praise God. Hallelujah. So, so, so I got, I got, so in all, then some more, somebody sent me some more. So I got $51,000. And so we are sending the 50000 Then there was a missionary there. Uh, he, I know he needed some money. And not much. His house was intact. Nothing was damaged. But he needs some money. So I sent to my wife, let's send $1,000 to him. So I called him. I said, I'm sending $1,000. So it's good. And you guys had a big part to pay. Because, I mean, 50000 you guys gave a fifth of it. So thank you. Thank you very much for your generosity. Amen. Praise God. Well, praise God. Let's go to 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, verse number 2. 3 John is one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's actually one verse longer than 2 John. 2 John is 13 verses. And third John is 14 verses. Little piece of trivia there. If you can't find it, it's in page 1459. <laughs> and it says, the elder, which is himself, John is referring to himself in the third person, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospereth. Amen? Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, the first thing I want to tell you this is that this word prosper is a badly misunderstood word. Because in our modern day usage, when we use the word prosper, we think of material prosperity. You know, prosper, whenever you hear the word prosper uh, in people's minds, it means a lot of money. And I've heard even some preachers say, you see, here is proof that God wants you to have a lot of money more than anything else. Because it says, I wish above all things that you may prosper. But the word 
prosper in, is the Greek word yudo. Yudo means that it may go well with you. And the word here is udutai, which means that, the, it, that it may go well with you in your journey. So the word prosper, and of course in the King James, you've got to understand the King James Bible is hundreds of years old. And the meanings of certain English words have changed. So the word prosper as it was understood then meant that it may go well with you. That's what it means. So what he's saying, he's not talking about money here. He's talking about your well-being. He says that, I, that it may, beloved, I wish above all things that it may go well with you in your journey. Right? He's talking about the journey of life. That's what he's talking about. That it may go well with you in the journey, in your journey of life. Now, in your journey of life, what are the things that you need? Like, for example, if you're going to do a, 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 an earthly journey, right? You, you, got to, you want to make sure about certain things. You're going on a road trip somewhere. The first thing is that you want to make sure that everybody's healthy, right? There's no issues there. Secondly, you want to make sure that your car is, is fit for the ride, that your tires are not bald, you know? Your oil is changed and you have no mechanical problems with the car. Everything is running okay. Third, you want, you know, you want to make sure that all these things are right. Third, the third thing, you want to make sure you have enough money. You have enough, enough cash, enough money to pay for your fuel, to pay for your hotels, to pay for your meals. You know, all these things you take care of in your journey. So in the journey of life, that it may go well for you in your journey of life, what are the things that are important? The first thing, the most important thing is your relationship with God. That's the number one thing. The primary thing is that your relationship with God is in a good place. That you are in a good place with God. Because if your relationship with God is not good, it's not going to go well with you in life. Do you understand? Yes. By, just by being religious, that doesn't help either. Because religion means to have the outward behavior and the outward forms of Christianity without having that inward relationship. That's religion. When people do the whole outward thing, they got the thing together, they know how to dress, they know how to talk, and they know how to behave, the outward behavior. But inside they're dead, they don't have a, a living relationship with the Father. So the first thing you have to make sure in your journey of life is that your relationship with God is good. The second thing, if you want your journey in life to go well, is that your marriage is good. Your relationship with your spouse is good, and that is something you have to work at all the time. You don't take each other for granted. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's getting quiet around here. (laughs) I know why, but that's important, That that your marriage is solid. Then that your relationship with your children is solid. That your kids don't hate you. I know, I know parents whose kids want to, when they grow up, they leave the house. They want to be as far away from their parents as possible. And see their parents as little as possible. And I always say, there's something wrong. So you have to make sure your relationship with God, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kids is okay. And then your relationships in church, in the community of believers, with your friends, all these other relationships that are in your life. You have to make sure that that people look at you as a good friend, as a good brother in the Lord. You know, these are... These are things. The Bible says a good name is to be chosen above great riches. That you have a good name in the community. Because you are a man whose word is your bond. Your word means something. You can be trusted. When people see you, they say, there goes a good man. Right? All those things. Then, of course, your health, your financial well-being. That you use... 
financial wisdom, fiscal wisdom. Even if you don't make a lot of money, you, you know, some people just don't make a lot of money, but, but you have to use fiscal wisdom. You don't live beyond your means. Right? You don't buy things you cannot afford. You, you know, you, you, you got a harmonious and well-balanced life in every way. And that is when your, your journey in life will go well. And that's what he's saying. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that it may go well with you in your journey of life. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. And when I talk about money, you know, prosperity, and in our circles, that always comes up as a big thing. It's a, it's a part of it. Of course, God wants you to, you know, prosperity, really prosperity, you cannot set a dollar sum on prosperity. Prosperity actually means to have enough for yourself and to have an overflow that you can give to the poor, give to those in needs, give to missions, give to your church, you know. I mean, that, that's what prosperity is. And some people have a bigger overflow than others, but that doesn't make any difference. The main thing is that you have enough for yourself and that you have enough uh, you, know, you have an overflow to, so that you can blessing, be a blessing to those who have less than what you have. And that's really uh, what prosperity means, you know, when you think of it in biblical terms. So, so he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that it may go well with you in your journey and that you may be in good health. You may be in good health. That is your body. Because your body is the temple that you live in. God wants your body to be healthy. Amen. Amen. And that's where, you know, there's two things that come in. Firstly is, of course, we believe in divine health. More than divine healing, live in divine health. You have to believe God. You have to trust God for your health. And not switch into faith mode when you get sick. Because when people get sick and they have to start believing God, often it's too late. Because they've been healthy and strong and they don't prepare for, you know, we we live in a bad world where bad things happen. And bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians. So, you know, you have to trust God. And start trusting God for divine health when you're healthy. And don't wait until you're sick to do it. Because often it can be too late. Now, but then there comes another part. You have to live right. Don't abuse your body. Amen. Eat right. Live healthy. I've been in America for 25 years. And I see the things people eat. Dear Lord. I know, I mean, I personally know people that, you know, uh, they're so busy, they're so stressed that on the way to work, they, they pick up a donut and a cup of coffee. Then they're, then they're eating out and, you know, if you don't eat healthy, if you, if you eat unhealthy food, believe me, it doesn't matter how great your faith is, you are going to get sick. I can guarantee you that. Because what goes in is important. Right? You eat unhealthy food, you are going to get sick, even if your faith is great. So, one thing you have to do, and I'm not saying you go to the other extreme and become a health food freak. I'm not saying that. I'm saying eat healthy and balanced meals. Eat at home. You don't have to eat out. Don't have to patronize McDonald's or KFC all the time. Eat healthy and you'll live long. Simple. It's simple. Some people think they can eat any garbage and, oh, I believe in divine health, Isaiah 53. Well, that is foolishness. That is not faith. That is foolishness. Amen? So it's, it's important that we, that, you know, say, so he said, I wish above all things that you may go well with you in your life and that you may be in good health. So you believe God for divine health, you trust the scriptures, but then you, you live a healthy, balanced life. Amen? Praise God. So all these things, and then it says, look at this. Even as your soul prospers. What does it mean? It means, what he's saying is that, that may go well with you, that you may be healthy, even as it goes well for your soul. 
That means your outward condition will always correspond to your inner condition. The prosperity of the soul. If your soul is prosperous, your body will be prosperous, your circumstances will be prosperous. The prosperity of the soul is the key to the well-being of the body and to your well-being in life. The prosperity of the soul. And this is because, you see, when we pray for the sick, how healing works is it actually goes inside you. The power of God touches you on the inside and it works from inside to your outside. Right? Now, when it comes to the soul, there are two um, ways in which you can uh, interpret the meaning of the word soul. And that depends entirely upon the context in which the word is used. The first, for the first usage of the word soul, the soul means your, you know, man is spirit, soul, body. Uh, you know, your, your spirit is the eternal part of you. That's, that's where... The spirit of God lives. That's the part that is, you know, born again, has been made new, that has been reborn. Then your body is the temple, the house in which you live. Your soul is your will, your emotions, and your thoughts. That's the, you know, that's the soul. But in the other context, the word soul means your entire inner being. It's a combination of your spirit and your soul. Your whole inner being, the entire inner being, that's the soul. Right? So... The well-being of your inner man will determine the well-being of your outer man. Now, you remember, let me illustrate this to you. Remember that scripture where it says, the anointing shall break the yoke? Right? The anointing shall break the yoke. And many people use it to mean that, you know, I'm the man of God. I have this anointing and I will, you know, he will come and I will come and lay hands on you. And that anointing will break the yoke that is around your neck. Now, yoke is not the yoke of an egg in that case. But it's the, you know, it's, it's like the yoke around the, I'm just clarifying it. I'm not talking about breakfast, you know. Sunny side up, you know, anointing breaks the yoke. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about the yoke, you know. So, but that is not really the true, true meaning of the scripture. If you read that entire scripture and read it in its context, it's not talking about somebody with an anointing coming and laying hands on a person who has got a yoke around his neck and that anointing that comes from this person will break the yoke over that person's neck. But if you read the whole scripture, it's talking about the yoke on an ox. Now, um, the, yoke, the yoke on oxen are actually, I should say, they're custom made. Each yoke is made for, you know, that particular ox, depending upon the size of his neck. But what he's saying is that you shall get so fat, so big on the inside that your neck will grow at the fatness of, you You know, you look like one of those NFL players, you know, whose necks and heads, have you seen their pictures? Their head and neck is one, you know, it says, you're, you know, they're, they're like, sometimes the head is like, the neck is like this, you know, and it says your neck is going to grow so big because of the fatness inside you that your neck will become, will actually grow bigger than the yoke. So when you grow bigger than that which holds you in bondage, the thing that holds you in bondage is going to snap and it's going to break. Amen. So that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about somebody with a mighty anointing who comes and lays hands on you. And especially these things, that, you know, whenever people talk about a breakthrough anointing or yoke-breaking anointing, it's always connected to an offering, you know. You have to bring an offering and that, that offering will kind of release that anointing, you know. It has nothing to do with that. It's what he's talking about that you will grow so strong on the inside because of the work of the Word and the Holy Spirit in your life and you will grow so big and fat on the inside that your neck will become bigger than the yoke around your neck that you will grow bigger and fatter and stronger than that which binds you and that which binds you will ultimate break and snap and that's what it means the anointing or the fatness is going to break the yoke 
Hallelujah. Amen. So that is why the prosperity of the soul is so important. That you make sure you are doing well in your soul. Hallelujah. That your soul, the Bible says, let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let your, let, let your soul be, be strong. Let your soul be full of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the word. So he says that, beloved, I wish above all things that you may do well in your journey. And that you may be in good health, even as your soul does well. Even as your soul prospers, and the same word prosper is used there, that your soul does well. If your soul does well, the outward thing will also do well. Amen? So never forget this, that the condition of the outward depends upon the condition of the inward. If your inward is doing well, your outward is also going to do well. Amen. So make sure that you always walk in peace in the inner man, that you don't get agitated. People get agitated, especially about politics. I hate that. I don't get, I don't like to get agitated about politics. I don't. I want to walk in the peace of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you don't. People get uptight, agitated about little things, especially when you go on Facebook. Dear Lord, the things people write. And I say to them, are you a Christian? What's wrong with you? Don't get worked up. Don't get agitated about these are trivial things. But walk, learn to walk in the peace of God. Learn to have peace within yourself. Because if you have peace within yourself, your outward man will also do well. Amen. Now, now when it, there are two factors in all this. The first factor is God's grace. When we talk about healing... For example, let's focus a little bit on healing because we're going to, you know, pray for the sick tonight. When it comes to healing, firstly, God is a healer. The way God has set up the human body, you know, I mean, when you, if, if you ever cut your finger, have you noticed how even if you don't put any medical, you know, any medicine there, the body begins to heal itself. God, that is how God has, has constructed the human body. God God has built health and well-being and healing into our bodies. That's, that's the first thing to remember. Secondly, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, healed the sick. He never made anybody, any healthy person sick, but he healed the sick. He never said to anybody, you know, I can heal you, but I don't want to heal you because God wants you to be sick because he wants to teach you something. Right. He never did that. Not to one single person. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That never happened. He never said to anybody. Because he knew that to, to cause you to grow uh, in your faith, his word and his Holy Spirit were enough. Yes. Amen? Yes. No. It is true that sometimes we fall into a bad situation and it can be, it can be sickness or something. And God in his mercy comes into that situation and ministers to us. Yes. That is fully possible. But it doesn't mean that God intended you to come into that situation so he could come in and help you. You understand what I'm saying? There's a, there, there's a, there's a huge difference. Now, the third thing you have to remember is Exodus 15, 26, where it says, uh, now that's in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And God said, I'm Yahweh Raphael. That means that was one of his covenant names. I am the Lord, your physician. I'm the Lord, your healer. Actually, the word there is, is the word for physician. Now, there's a great difference between a healer and a physician. A physician, if you go to a doctor, a doctor's office, a physician, he is bound by his oath to help you. He can't say, you know what? I don't want to help you. Why? Because your uncle owes me money. He's a thief. I hate you. I hate your whole family. <laughs> Find somebody else. He can't do that. He has to use every method at his disposal to help you. Yes. Amen. Amen. The Lord is a physician. And not only that, but this is Yahweh Raphael, I'm the Lord, your physician, is his covenant name. So God will always deal with man in accordance with his covenant and with his word. Yes. 
the character of God. God will deal with us according to his character, according to his word and according to his covenant. And the people in the Old Testament, they had a healing covenant with God in which God said, I am the Lord, your physician. In fact, he said a lot of other things. I'm Yahweh Sidkinu. I'm the Lord, your righteousness. I'm the Lord, your banner of victory. I'm the Lord, your provider. I'm the Lord who is the ever-present one. And so on and so forth. So these are, these are covenant names. And when, when God would, you know, attach the name Yahweh to any of these attributes, it immediately became a part of his covenant. And that was his seal. That was it. That is who he is. And he's not going to act in any manner contrary to that. So God said, I'm the Lord, your physician. But now, those in the Old Testament did not have what we have. And what we have in the New Covenant is that Jesus Christ, not only is he our healer, but when he died upon the cross, he actually physically, upon his own body, bore our sins and our diseases, both mental and physical. And the Bible says, by the stripes upon his back, we have been healed. Amen. That is one thing that the people in the old covenant couldn't lay hold of. And the Bible says, surely he has born. And the word born is the word nasa in the Hebrew. That means that you come to somebody who's carrying a heavy burden. And you pick that heavy burden off him. And you take it upon yourself. And you remove it from, to a distance away from that person who was originally carrying it. So that's what it means that Jesus came and he carried upon his own self our infirmities and our sins and our diseases and took them away from us. So that is, that is what he has done for us. So we have more than a healing covenant. We have a savior who actually physically bore our diseases upon his own self. And by stripes we are healed. So that is, that is grace. Grace is what God does for us. His unmerited favor. Amen. Which we have done nothing to deserve. If God does something for us that we have not deserved, that is grace. His unmerited favor. If you have to deserve it, then it's not grace, then it's works. But it's grace because it was undeserved, okay? Now, then comes our part. Because you see, it doesn't matter how great God's grace is. That grace will do nothing in our lives unless we appropriate it by faith. So grace is God's part, faith is our part. Faith appropriates what God has already provided. Faith takes a hold of what God has provided and and says that it is mine. Amen. So our part is called faith. Okay. Now. Firstly, let's go to the scripture. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse number 20. Proverbs chapter 4. Okay, it says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ears unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine heart, from your eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for their life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh, keep, keep, with, keep thy heart with all diligence, for it are, are the issues of life. Look at the first words. My son, attend to my words. God begins by calling them his sons. Faith is always relational. Some of us think is that faith is, you know, there are certain formulas of faith and you do certain things and, you know, you confess and you... You speak and you act and you do certain things in a certain way. And if you happen to do it wrong, it negates everything. And you have to start all over again. 
And then when you, when you have confessed enough, you have prayed enough, you have done enough, then God who is sitting up on his throne, twiddling his thumbs, watching you. And when you have impressed him enough, he gives you your diploma, which is your healing. So then you can testify, you know, man, I tell you what, I confessed, I believed, and I did this, and I did that, and I got healed. So who gets the glory? You. Because your entire testimony is about, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. There's nothing in it about Jesus. You made it happen. Are you with me? Faith is always relational. God addresses us as sons. He has given us, he has sent to us the spirit of his son. Because of which we cry, Abba. Abba in Aramaic and in Arabic is daddy. I remember when I was growing up as a Muslim kid, I called my dad Abba. He'd come home from the office, Abba. I wet my pants, Abba. But it was always Abba. Abba is daddy. Then I got saved, I saw Abba in the Bible. I said, that's the kind of familiarity. Not familiarity in a disrespectful sense, but that intimacy, that closeness. Do you understand what I mean? Faith, remember, faith is always relational. If your relationship is okay, your faith will be okay. Amen. So, he addresses us, my son. Okay? So, this is what he said. He said, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. What is he saying? That means you read, study the word of God, and listen to the word of God. Keep the word of God before your eyes. And keep the word of God in your ears. And you attend to the word of God. Give attention to the word of God. Not just a cursory glance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By stripes I'm healed. Yeah, I know that. No. But you, you actually give your eyes and your ears to the word of God. Receive the word of God. Okay? Remember, that's why there is no substitute for personal study of the Bible. Take time every day reading your Bible. Never say, I'm too busy. Have you ever seen, I'm too busy to eat, I'm too busy to drink water, or I'm too busy to breathe? You're going to die. If you're too busy to eat, believe me, you can go for a couple of days. But then, on the third day, you'll begin to have visions that are not of God. Few more days you'll die. So you always, doesn't matter how busy you are, you stop and you say, you know what? You know what? Let's take a break. I'm going for lunch. Don't you do that? Doesn't matter how busy you are, how busy your life is, you say, listen, let's, let's go and grab some lunch. Right? And then you eat lunch and it clears your mind. So, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Beloved, we cannot live without the word of God. If we live without the word of God, if we just think church attendance and singing and worshiping is good and listening to CDs on the go, that's enough. That is why we have so many Christians who know so much and yet are weak. There's a lot of people in churches who know a lot, but who are weak. Amen? You, you, we need that. We cannot live without the word of God. So, it says, so it's, firstly, it's relational. Secondly, keep the word in your ear and before your eyes all the time. And then it says here, look at this. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Not just up in your brain, but you've got to keep the word in your heart inside why for their life unto those that find them here's talking about revelation when the word of god is no longer knowledge but it is a revelation to you in other words now what's the difference between knowledge and revelation knowledge is something that you know revelation is when that knowledge becomes a part of your dna 
How does that happen? Well, that happens through a process known as meditation. Now, meditation is actually biblical. God said to Joshua that he should meditate on the word day and night. Joshua 1.8. He should meditate on the word. Some, when we use, see the word meditation, we think, you know, you sit cross-legged like a guru in a, with your fingers done, and it's called a lotus position. And you, that's not meditation. Many, many. Let me, let, let me tell you what meditation. You know, you see, you see the Bible is a Middle Eastern book. Uh, I grew up in that part of the world and there are certain things you, we saw in everyday life and those things come alive and, uh, you know, when you're studying the word and then you understand, okay, so that's what it is. Let me, I remember years ago, years ago, I was, uh, I was in a car and I don't remember who, whose car it was, but I think it was probably my dad or someone. You know, I was sitting in the front seat of the car, and uh, we were at a railway crossing. And, you know, in those countries, uh, sometimes they, you know, the guy, he lowers the railway crossing by the timetable, and the train is two hours late. Well, the railway crossing comes down, and bad luck. You're stuck there for two hours, you know. So I'm sitting at the railway crossing for a long, long time, and uh, right next to me, is a camel. Only in the Middle East. <laughs> There's a big camel right next to me pulling a cart. And he's standing there. So what I'm doing is that I've seen camels, but I was really studying this camel. There was nothing else there, you know. So I'm watching this camel. And, uh, and uh, I've never, you know, just watching, studying the camel, you know. And I've never done that before. You saw them everywhere. So I'm, well, then suddenly I see like a, like a thing like, my fist, you know, like a ball, travel up the neck, the throat of the camel. Now, a camel's neck is about six, seven feet long. And I see this little ball appear at the, uh, as big as my fist, appear at the bottom and go up his throat like this. And then he begins to chew. I said, what is he chewing? Then I realized it was that thing that came up and he was chewing on it. And he chewed on it for a long time. Then that ball kind of went down the neck. And then a few minutes later, another ball comes up and he begins to chew on it. And this went on back and forth. So, so I thought, I go to study this because we people cannot do that. We can't pick up yesterday's Big Mac, you know, and chew on it, you know. So I go to, I go, I go to find out what's going on here. So I did some study. What I found out that a a camel's stomach has four compartments. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong, could be five, but I think it was four. It has multiple comp compartments. And when a camel eats it, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, even they, they tell us as human beings also, you should never just chew your food two times and swallow it. You've got to chew your food. You know, you get most max nutrition out of it. So the, the, the camel will chew the leaves or grass, whatever it is eating. It will chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Then it will swallow it. Then it goes into its first stomach sac. Then it can pull it up again. And it will chew on it, chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Take all the nutrition out of it. And then it'll swallow it again, goes into the stomach sac, second one. Then it comes up and then goes to the third one, then goes to the fourth one. By the time it has gone to the fourth one, it, there's nothing left in it. Then it goes out as waste. And that's why camels can survive for, uh, you know, a camel can go for three weeks in the desert without water and without food. And that's how they survive because of, you know. So that's what... The word rumination means that you have something inside you and you chew on it, you chew on it, and chew on it, you chew on it. And that's what it means to, for their life to those that find them. That means you take the word of God and you speak the word of God, speak the word of God. I, I remember when we were at... Uh, Rayma, my wife and I, you know, we came from Sweden. We didn't have work permits. We were not, not allowed to work in the U.S. So what we did, we, we sold what we have, gave something, some things away. So we knew we had enough money to last us. School started in September, so we had enough money to last us. We, can't, we estimated our tuition, our rent for our little place where we, had, we were staying and our food, everything we had. We would last for, I think, four months or so. 
But right when we came, the Lord began to speak to us. Gave so much as an offering here. I said, Lord, I can't. I mean, I'm, I've counted. We gave offerings back in Sweden, you know. Now we are here. We got everything counted. I'm not allowed to work here. It's illegal for us to work. We have to live on. And not only that, but people in Sweden thought we must be very rich because we're going to America to go to Bible school instead of going to a Bible school there. And the Americans thought we were very rich because we were not working and we had come all the way from Sweden so everyone thought we were loaded when we had nothing, you know. So the Americans thought, oh, these rich Swedes, you know, they've come, they don't work, they just go to Bible school, they have all this money. And the, and the Swedes think, oh, these guys, they're so rich, they're loaded, they're going to America to study, you know. So any so here we were and the Lord is telling us give offering here give a, then, then when we had done that then he said okay buy groceries for this family grocery. so we're doing all this I said dear Lord what have I ended up in and sure enough before he knew, knew it we had no money left for tuition and so I said to Britta I said you know we have no money for tuition so so he said okay so I'll never, I'll never forget I stood in the in the living room of that apartment we were in, and, and uh, suddenly Philippians 4.19 came to me. Now, Philippians 4.19 is a promise for tithers and givers. Everybody cannot claim Philippians 4.19, for my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul said this to the church in Philippi because they were tithers and givers. If you read the whole chapter, he's commending them on their giving. And he says, for my God shall supply all your needs. So I said, Lord, I qualify. (laughs) I'm a tither and I have a giver and I qualify. And this is your promise. And I said, and my God shall supply all my needs. And I began to speak that scripture out aloud. And I said, firstly, it says you are my God. You're not just... Kenneth Hagin's God, but you are my God and you are watching over me and you take care of me and you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. It doesn't say you might if you feel like it, but you shall supply all my needs. Don't just sum up my needs. You shall supply all of my needs and you shall do it in a big way because it says you will do it according to your riches. In the, so I... I walked around for about 45 minutes to an hour, taking the scripture, just breaking it up. And speaking each part. Then I took a rest, had a cup of coffee, then I was up on my feet doing it again. And I did it, I don't know how long. My wife was sitting and watching and she was praying. I said, my God, shall and I did it and did it and did it. I don't know how long when suddenly the whole, it was not just the verse, but it was the whole concept. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when you break up that verse and you speak it up, the whole concept just just dropped down into my spirit. And I said, Oh, it is done. It is done. I feel it is done. It was suddenly, it was no longer a verse that I was claiming, but it was a part of my DNA. Hallelujah. I still had no idea where the money would come from. Well, I was sitting in class, then I heard my name on the speakers. Christopher Alam. And you know, at Rayma, when your name is announced on the speaker, you're not going to receive an award or something. You know. <laughs> Go to the dean's office. My knees were having fellowship, you know, I didn't, I know what was going on. So I went to the dean's office and I stood in line and I, I stood in line. There were other people, some had to pay parking tickets and all that, you know. And so I said, I said, yes, madam, I'm Christopher Allen. She says, oh, oh, I just want to tell you, somebody has paid all the school tuition for you and your wife. After that. After that, we were so blessed. We went back to Sweden with more money than we had when we came. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you, you see, you see, it's not just enough that is in the, it is in the Bible. For he says, for their life, keep it in your heart. It begins with hearing the word of God with your ears and give, being attentive. Give attention to my words. Amen. Hear the word. Incline your ear. Keep it before your eyes. Then he said, then you 
hide it in a heart. And then it says, for their life to those that find them. Jesus said in John 6, 63, for my words, they are spirit and they are life. They are life to those that find them. And then it says, and health to all their flesh. Hallelujah. That's how the word of God becomes health to your body. It begins to touch your body. And, and you say, oh, praise God. The word is working in my, right up to your fingertips. The word begins to work in my body. And then it says, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Again, prosperity of the soul. Your heart is the most precious thing that you have. Don't pollute your heart. Amen. Don't pollute your heart. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. Don't give room to bitterness. Unforgiveness, no matter what people have done to you, forgive. That's what it means. Keep your heart. Keep your heart from unforgiveness, from bitterness. Amen? And again, from the abrasiveness that comes through this political nonsense that is going on these days. Keep your heart from these things. Amen? Amen. Keep your heart. Don't get a harsh spirit. Don't get a bitter spirit. Don't get a critical spirit. But keep your heart. Because from it proceed the issues of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Beloved, I wish above all things that it may go well with you on your journey of life. And that you may be healthy. And health, these days especially, the issue of mental health has been brought up in a way it has never been before. And that includes mental and physical health. Even as your inside prospers. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus, who died for us to give us eternal life. We thank you. Thank you, Father. While your head's about, I just want to make sure if there's anybody here and you say, Pastor Christopher, I don't know whether I have peace with God, but I need my sins forgiven. I need to get right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, if you could just show me your hand, who you are. I can pray with you. Maybe everybody here says, Brother, I have peace with God. I know I'm saved. I have peace with God. But if there's anybody here, you, you were brought here by somebody or you came on your own, and you say, Brother, I need my sins forgiven. I need to be saved. You could just put up your hand high enough for me to see it. Anybody? I just want to make sure. I know that I can see. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. I just want to make sure. Could we all stand up? Sir, could you pray with this gentleman?